Thank you for supporting Overcomers Christian Center. From wherever you're listening, we hope that today's message leaves you feeling empowered and equipped. Four, the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I want you to notice with me the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It reads as follows. Follow me as I read. Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Verse four, but he answered and said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Based on what I just read to you, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on this topic, living by the word of God, living by the word of God. When we think about the word living, I can imagine that many connotations come across your mind. And, but I want to think about living in this aspect. It's the way of life. It's our lifestyle. It's our rituals and routines in life. And if you like me, you probably have used this phrase or a similar phrase when talking to others who are dealing with trials, tribulations, and hard times. We may know someone who may be challenged and releasing back to God his tithes and a good offering. Maybe you're, you, maybe there's a married couple that's going through a rough patch in their life and They've been struggling in relationships to the point that the word divorce or separation has came up in conversation. A single person has struggled with wanting to be holy and single. They have str- they're struggling with that. At the end of the day, we all encourage them to live by the word of God because we can't be there to regulate their lives. We can't be there to tell them don't do this and don't do that. But you got to make up in your mind that you're going to live by the word of God. I've learned that every Christian has to make a quality decision to live by the word. I believe that that decision a Christian must make daily because the enemy will use any opportunity he has to get you to go in contrast to the word of God. See, the question would be for those who are Christians and Do we make a daily decision to live by God's word or the opinion of others, the words of friends and families, the words of so-called experts in the world, the news? Celebrities have a a way the way you should live your life and any individual along that particular line. For example, is, is Dr. Field teaching you how to raise your kids or is the word teaching you? It's CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, social media, and so forth, uh, telling you how to live your word, live your life, or is God's word teaching you how to live your life? Because the word works. The word works. Nothing wrong with information and education and professional trainings, because they have their place. We can learn from them. We can build our skills, but their influence on us should be limited. 
we should not deem their information greater than God's word. We need to live by the principles, commands, and orders that are unlimited and have supernatural power. Jesus is our perfect example on how to live by the word of God. As well, he gives us insight on how to navigate through life and overcome the enemy, our flesh, and anything that is contrary to the word of God in our lives. We see in scriptures, uh, Matthew 4 and 1 is a lesson from Jesus on how we live by what is written. I thought, I thought Matthew, when I looked at this scripture a little bit closer, I realized that when the events took place, Matthew was not there. It was the Lord and, of course, we're going to see the tempter in a few minutes. Matthew wasn't there. But Matthew had an insight on the events that took place at this particular time. We see here that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, tempted is an interesting word. It means to try whether or not a thing can be done. It's to test one's faith. It's to entice one to sin. It's the cause to distrust. Two areas that get my attention that I want to kind of be an underline that we kind of look at today is this. To test one's faith. Why is that so important? See, without faith is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You got to, the enemy comes to test your faith. He's coming to test your confidence, your trust, your belief in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another area is he wants to cause us to distrust. He doesn't want us to trust the Lord wholeheartedly. He doesn't want that because he knows if you trust the Lord wholeheartedly, things going to work out for your good. And you're going to listen, you're going to walk in the goodness of the Lord, of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One lesson we learn from this text is, is that the enemy was try, is trying to get Jesus to go against the will of God for his life. See, the enemy wants, he wanted Jesus just like he wants us to do things his way instead of God's way. That's the difference right there. The enemy wants all of us to do things his way instead of God's way. And that's always going to be an issue. In fact, that happens even today. The enemy wants us to do things his way instead of doing things God's way. And we got to make up in our mind we're going to do things God's way. I've learned if you live long enough. Some type of demonic force will try to get you to go against God's will, such as a spirit of fear, unbelief, anger, pride, lust, envy, and so forth. These spirits come to get you to act contrary to God's will for your life. Now, let's look at Matthew 4 and 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So we see that Jesus was led, he was, he was brought to a higher place, but this particular place was the wilderness. 
The wilderness is a lonely, uncultivated, and uninhabited place, a desolate place, and the purpose of it was to be tempted by the devil. Now, we see that Jesus was brought to a certain place or space by the Holy Spirit. This place is uh, known as the desert. Now, we know that if you read through our scripture, some good victories have happened in the desert, but this particular place where he was led to was not a good place. The place or space was not typical for enjoyment or entertainment. This place or space, uh, the wilderness was a place that be considered, of course, unrefined, not, re- not, re- not productive and such like. This particular place, people are rude, insensitive, lacking refinement. They, they, they have little to no people skills. For example, you could be blessed with a job making more money than you ever made before. You're making more and you're working less. It's like a good plan, don't it? You convinced the Lord bless you with that job opportunity. However, a little while on the job, you realize your supervisor, they educated. They, they're good at what they do. They, they're a company person. They got skills for the job, but he or she is uncultivated when it comes to working with people. Oh, Lord, you live long enough you have a supervisor that is good on their job, but people skills. <laughs> you've entered that workplace that you've entered your work wilderness experience. And the Holy Spirit, he led you there. You testified to the job. Job! Oh, God, he blessed me. Woo! I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm working, I used to work 55. Now I'm working 40 hours. I'm making more money than I ever made working the 55 hours. Woo! You danced around the church. Glory be to God. And then you go to work one day and you realize that supervisor you got, you're like, why in the world did they make it the super, supervisory role? Oh, these individuals about to make me go up in here, up in here. And you realize this is your wilderness experience. Another example could be this. The Lord is blessing, promoting you in his kingdom. You've been praying and trusting God for this particular moment. You're convinced that this is your season to work with ministers in the church. However, within a time, a certain period of time, you realize that some of the ministers are uncultivated. You've chosen men who is rude, rough, harsh, short with people, insensitive, and only want to participate in matters that pertain to him or her. They have no concept of teamwork. You've entered your church wilderness experience and the Holy Spirit led you to this place. And this is the place where you're going to be proven. And then, and then I like this. One thing I thought about when I was seeing this, and then you would say in your mind, don't pass the seed that this leader is like this. Don't pass the seed that this particular leader is acting the way that they acting. Don't pass the seed that if this leader don't straighten up, they're going to run me out of the church. Don't pass the seed the leader acting. They act one way in front of the pastor, but behind the pastor's back, they act another type way. 
Don't pass the see that this leader right here don't pull up and don't is not as dedicated even as me who's in the auxiliary. And then you say, well, pastor, don't see. Well, let me say this to you. Pastor may see, but he may not be looking at what you're looking at. He may be seeing how you react through the situation. Don't you know that God knew, knows every situation, every personality in the local church? You think anything escapes God's, listen, uh, all seeing eye? God sees everything and he knows everything. So you know God sees it. And if he wants the pastor to do something about it, I believe God big enough to move that situation out of the way. And let me say this to you. If you leave to some people, there will be no auxiliaries. Everybody be sitting down. But you got to learn how to work with people. Thank you all. I thought I heard two or three amens right there, but that's okay, though, because God don't throw you out because you are doing stuff you do. Uh, let me get out of that because I, I, see, I, I, I see that getting on some people right there. I pray that we don't have an uncultivated minister at OCC, but if we do, we know we can do better. You have to be able to deal with rude, ill-mannered people and know that you are a legit Christian who thinks, talk, and acts Christ-like regardless of how others act in the church as well as outside of the church. The devil is constantly on his job making false accusations, scrutinizing folks, and examining their words and works to see if they are Christian. One thing the devil will do, he'll, he, you'll do 52 things right, but that one thing you do wrong, he will magnify that. Thank y'all for them two amens right there. You can do 52 things right according to scripture, and as soon as you do something wrong, the devil will say, listen, I knew you were right. I knew you weren't right. Are you really a Christian? Are you really a, one of God's leaders in the church? Are you really that individual who who says that they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul? I love the Lord. You can't tell me nothing. No, but when you mess, mess up, the enemy can pounce on that. Go to Revelation 12 and 10. Let's look at this in Scripture. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. This identifies Satan as an accuser of the brethren and tales of his destiny. Notice in Revelation 12 and 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser. Those focused on making accusation before a judge of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, thrown to the ground. Let me tell you where he's thrown to. A place called Earth. Earth. The place we live in right now, the accuser is here. So he's going to accuse folks of doing stuff. Listen, you got to look far. You can go to the news most nights. You see the accuser working. That's why you can't fall prey to the accuser's accusations. First Peter 5 and 8. Now, the accuser that they're talking about here, the, the devil or the demonic forces, 
In other words, these are what we call fallen angels. They have been cast down here to earth. Now, another one we're going to look at is demonic activities. First Peter five and verse eight. First Peter five. Y'all probably got it by now. But let me get, let me catch up with y'all. First Peter five and eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks. He makes progress. He, he's occupying terrible territory about like a roaring lion. Walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, aiming at whom he may devour to destroy or swallow up. Walking around looking for people to devour. We got fallen angels making accusations. We got demon spirits walking around looking for someone to devour. And here we are on the earth dealing with these things. That's why you need divine protection. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you don't go around falling and doing what the enemy is doing. Listen, we talk about other people being accusers. We don't need to be accusers ourselves. Especially when we don't have evidence of what we're talking about. And it made some people will see certain people on TV. I knew they weren't right. How do you know them? Have you met them? Are you with them 24 hours a day and seven days a week? It's amazing the number of people that will criticize folks that they really, all they know about is a 20 second news clip. And they've been living 42 years. How do you know about uh, everything about them in 42 seconds? This is the trap of the enemy, according to the scriptures. This is why we must make sure that we follow our omniscient guide. We know that the adversary is an opponent, someone who opposes us. The devil... The devil makes due use of opportunities to devour us. We may not be seeking him, but the enemy is seeking us, according to 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Now, notice how Jesus dealt with Satan and how we should deal with him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. So notice this, part of the preparation period was Jesus fasting. Jesus fasted 40 days and he fasted 40 nights. Fasting is this, to, to abstain from food or drink or both for a determined period of time to be replaced by some type of spiritual activity. See, Jesus went without food for 40 days and 40 nights. Many people believe he drunk something because the Bible says after he was hungry, but he wasn't thirsty. Now, fasting is not always popular, but it is necessary. And see, fasting is a tool that believer can use in order to live the way that God wants us to live. As long as we're not just missing a meal, but spending time in word and prayer and applying what the Lord is revealing to us. Listen. You know what, something about this word here? Jesus said this, or the whiskey, Matthew said this about Jesus. He was not hungry to afterwards. So in other words, he wasn't sitting around thinking about food while he was fasting. 
Because some of us, when we fast, all we think about, Lord, can't wait to get to them poke chops, boy. Ooh. I'm going to smudge them things with gravy. I'm going to tear them things. I'm not even suck the bone this time, boy. But I, I got to have them neck bone and them poke chops. Woo! I'm going to eat some, get some gravy. Woo! Woo! When this fast is over with, boy, I'm talking about when this fast is over with. I can't wait till this fast is over. I can't wait to get some sweet tea. I can't wait, boy, to get some loaf of bread, some biscuits, some cornbread. I might even cook me some real cornbread today because I'm, I'm tired of that jiffy stuff. I'm going to give me some real cornbread today. Woo! I've been fasting. Lord, fasting, God. Lord, I'm fasting. Woo! I can't wait to get some sweet tea, boy. I'm going to add a little lemonade with it, boy. Woo! Woo! How long have I been fasting? Two hours. Lord, here we go. <laughs> See, you don't sit around and think about food when you're fasting. You might as well go ahead and eat. <laughs> because your whole concentration is on food. Your concentration should be on the Lord. That's fasting. See, fasting is not thinking about the meals you're missing, but thinking about what is God saying to me in this fast? What is the Holy Spirit revealing to me? What is God telling me to do in this season of my life? Lord, what is it that you have for me during this season of my life? Because the Bible says afterwards he was hungry. When hungry during the meal, he was hungry afterwards. Now, let's look at a little bit more about fasting. First of all, let's go to Matthew 17 and 21. Matthew 17, 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. This kind represents this stock of this nature. If we live long enough, we will face a this kind situation. When we face this kind, we need to be living by the word and praying and fasting. Because when you deal with a this kind, you got to make up in your mind. I can't let the enemy overtake me when I'm dealing with this kind. I can't let him overtake me. Let's go to another example. But notice what he says. Uh, uh, turn to Isaiah 58, verse 1 through 8. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 8. And while you get that, let me say this to you. This kind goes out except by prayer and fasting. They were trying to cast them out, the enemy out, a number of different ways, but sometimes you like to pray and fast. I ain't talking about you're going to pray and fast an hour before you see it. I'm talking about you're going to have to pray, put some time in prayer, put some time in fasting, and then you deal with the situation. Let me say this to you. Sometimes you're going to run across a situation in your life that you're going to need to pray and you're going to need to fast. And it's going to need to be more than just, you know, from 8 to 12. I'm talking about 8 a.m. to noon, and then you're through. I'm talking about you have to put, some, put the place aside for a little while. However, however long the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. I put it to you like that. Now, let's go to Isaiah 58, verse 1 through 8. Isaiah 58, verse 1 through 8. 1 through 8. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask 
of made the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted? Notice verse 3. Why have we fasted? They say, and you have not seen. Why have you afflicted our souls and take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you cast, would you call this a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. Notice the first part of this uh, text is telling you reasons why you should, listen, things you shouldn't do in a fast. And now it's telling you things you should do in a fast. And the purpose behind it. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? Verse 6. To loose the bands, bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free and that, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not pride yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear Guard. Then you should call and the Lord will answer. You should cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking and speaking wickedness. Read down to verse nine. But see the benefits there of fasting. This is the benefits of godly fasting, I should say, because there is a fast that God doesn't recognize. As we see there in the text. In my opinion, fasting takes our minds and body to a place of humility and stillness. Fasting helps, uh, fasting helps calm the flesh down to the point that we can see and experience a divine need. We realize our limitations and needs, especially physically, mentally, spiritually, and even emotionally. A good fasting will help us to see our need for more Jesus, keeping his word and protecting power. Now, the outcome of the fast, as we see a little bit more, and, and, and uh, uh, what happened at the end was, in Matthew 4 and 2, and we had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. He suffered want, he was in need, and so forth. And you notice that after he suffered need, this is when the enemy showed up. Notice this, is when he had a need, the enemy showed up. Many times we uh, we got to be careful about that because you got to watch out for the flesh or a carnal place. A good fast will humble us based on Deuteronomy and help us to see a need to live beyond natural bread in which Jesus would quote from. Notice, go to Deuteronomy 8 and 3. You need to know where this comes from. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with matter which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
So he humbled you. He weakened or troubled you, allowed you to hunger, allowed you to suffer, be in need, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that you that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Some situations are said to bring a dose of humility to us, so we realize that we need God and his word to operate in us. Thank God for fasting. It definitely helped you to humble yourself. It definitely humble yourself. When we get when we get to having divine needs stirred up, we look for divine God and his divine word. In my opinion, fasting was preparing Jesus to respond to the tempter in the wilderness. And not in a in a excuse me, he wanted him to respond in a spiritual matter and not in a flesh or a carnal matter. Let's look at Matthew chapter four and verse three. Now, when the tempter came, when the tempter came, remember what we're here now. Jesus was led in the wilderness, the purpose to be tempted by the devil. Forty days and forty nights had passed. After it passed, he was hungry. Now, after he's hungry, the tempter shows up. The tempter shows up. Now, the tempter is the person who's going to try or test the person's first person's faith. But notice this, the tempter came to him. And then he started having a conversation with him. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So first of all, the tempter would test our character, our faith, and our and call and try to cause us not to trust God wholeheartedly. Remember, the tempter's gonna come, he's gonna test our character, he's gonna test our faith, he's gonna get us to not to trust God wholeheartedly. Remember that supervisor we talked about earlier, brilliant on the job, but rude to his employees. The minister who was in church for years, but rude and harsh, there to tempt us. There to cause us to, to look at God from a different perspective. It's time like this when our character and our faith are tested. Just like they did for Jesus. Once the tempter came, once he drew near, once he approached Jesus, he had a conversation with him. I thought about from this point. When Adam and Eve were in the garden. The enemy came. He came and he had a conversation with Adam and he had a conversation with Eve. Adam and Eve didn't do well after the conversation. But how would Jesus do after the conversation? So he says this, if you are the son of God, command, speak or say that these stones become or appear as bread. Now, this is what you need to know. The devil would try you, you, excuse me, the devil would try to have you to do something that you can do, but not God's way. Let that sink for a moment. Jesus could have easily turned that bread into, excuse me, that stone in the bread. You think anything impossible for God? 
Do you think that God really would have sweated if he wanted to take that stone and turn it into the best bread you ever ate in your life? He could have did that. But he would have been doing it the devil's way instead of doing it God's way. And this is what you got to be careful about. The enemy will try to get you to do things the enemy's way and not God's way. For example, he don't mind you giving, just don't give you tithes. He don't mind you praying, just don't pray in Jesus' name. He don't mind you uh, loving your wife, but have a girlfriend on the side. He don't mind you having a husband, but won't you have another boyfriend on the side? He don't mind you doing things, but he wants you to do it his way. And that's what you got to be careful about. Because you can be in church doing things, but you may not be doing it God's way. You can be with your family doing things, but you may not be doing treating your family the right way. What? Doing it your way instead of God's way. Leading to your own understanding and not doing it the way that God wants it done. God had no problem in looking at that stone and turning it into bread. But he said, I ain't doing it, devil, because you want me to do it. And I'm not doing it. I'm not seeing if he did that. What else would he have done? What else would he have compromised? If he wouldn't have did it, if he'd have did what the enemy wanted him to do. Because if he got him to turn the rock into bread, what else would he got him to do? And this is what you got to be careful about. See, the enemy, see, there's some things we can do, but we got to do things God's way. Yeah, I love you, but I don't love you so far. I'm going to treat everybody right that treats me good. Doing it, but we're doing it, but we're not doing it God's way. And you got to watch out. for You can do it, but are you doing it God's way? Are you doing it the way that God has instructed you to do it? Because this is what, you when you look at this text, I say, well, God could have turned that stone into bread. And that had been the best bread, especially when you're hungry. I, many, I, so I, when, when I fast, sometime when I fast, let's say I'm fasting at 4 o'clock, at 401, I want a supernatural meal to show up before me. In fact, 4 o'clock in one second. As soon as that, my clock say 4, I'm ready to go ahead and be putting my fork into something and ready to go to town with it because why? I'm hungry. Now, notice this though. Jesus fasted 40 days 40 nights. Afterwards, he's hungry because he's not. He's not thinking about food. He's saying, what does God want me to do? I believe also, too, now, I can't prove this, but I believe it's happening. He was also in prep mode that when he did deal with the enemy, he was going to be ready. And see, sometimes fasting will get you ready to deal with what you may not know about, but what God knows about. Oh, you say, well, will it stop it? It may not stop it, but you'll be ready to deal. You'll be ready to pray. You'll be ready to give. You'll be ready to say, God, you can do all things, say, fail. Whatever he's preparing me to go for. Say, another thing, too. 
You cannot be intimidated by the enemy. Don't let the enemy intimidate you. Well, everybody else doing it. Everybody else saying it. Everybody else going. Listen, if you was a, a, a cool parent, you'll let your child go. If, if, listen, if you was a cool parent, you'll buy your child a, a PlayStation or a, what's the other one that got out there? PlayStation and, um, Xbox. All of them, you buy, my, you get your child one if you was a cool parent. Where everybody else's school got $200 tennis shoes and here you are in the fifth grade. No, you ain't gonna wear them for two months and then you outgrow them because of the way you eat. Everybody else doing it. See, don't be intimidated by the enemy trying to get you to do something his way. His way. Everybody else wearing it. Mm-mm. Everybody else showing they Don't be intimidated by the enemy. See, the devil tried to plant a seed of doubt or have you questioning God. If you are the son of God. There you go, trying to get you separated from God. Trying to get, get, trying to get you to do it his way instead of God's way. See, the enemy will come at you whether or not you obey him in Christ or been saved for a number of years. Tempting you to question who you are in Christ. If you were a Christian, if you were leading the church, if you were a bona fide minister, if you truly saved, you would. Mm-hmm. He questioned Jesus' identity. Then asked him to do something about the situation. Jesus' situation at the time was he was hungry after a 40-day fast in an uncultivated place. We can be that at that place in time in our life, have a situation, not have the resource that we need, and try to fix it in a way that goes against God's word. For example, you could be in a situation where you need money, and you remember that old sugar daddy. Sugar daddy had X number of dollars. And if you treated sugar daddy right, sugar daddy come pay that behind light bill. Put some tennis shoes and clothes on that child's clothes. Look how they looking, Lord. I don't know. I might be in, but listen, it happens though. Maybe not happen to you, but it happens though. You got to be careful about trying to compromise God's word. Got to be careful about that. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4. Notice how Jesus handled the tempter, the tempter. Yeah, I could turn the things into, I could turn them into, uh, I could turn that stone into bread, but it's written. Man shall not live, hallelujah to God, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yeah, I could do it, devil, but I ain't doing things your way. I've been to do it, I've been to live. Now, hold on now, bread's important. Because man got to live by bread. Bread is... You know, you put that ingredients together. I never made no homemade bread before, but I'm, I'm mad to tell you pretty good. Put it in the stove, let it cook a little while. 
I mean, I like biscuits. And I ain't never made none before. Well, none that I would tell you about anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> I got them whopping biscuits. I'll whop that side of the counter up, put them in the thing there for a certain period of time. I made none of them scratch. Whopping biscuits. I'm sorry. A lot. Canned biscuits for some of y'all real sophisticated folks right there. I like them. He said, yeah, they're important. Because man gonna live by some bread. Gotta have, and bread also represents natural nutrients. Food, basically, that you live by. You gotta have bread. You gotta have food to live by. He said, I don't deny that. But I live by every word, every utterance, every command, every saying that proceeds from the mouth of God. His response was based on it is written. Now, the thing that you got to understand is you got to know what's written. You can't just be talking about what's written if you don't know what's written or not. I'm like this. Speak what you know. If you don't know but a few scriptures, say those few scriptures until you get more knowledge of more scriptures. Continue to study and show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Keep on studying till you know more scriptures. But when you do, well, but listen, Jesus knew the word. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Hey, devil, I ain't living by what, the way you want me to live. I'm going to live by the word of God. I'm going to conduct my life. I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to live by the written word of God. It's written, hallelujah, that man should not live by bread alone. But one thing I like about it, Jesus knew the scriptures. And we got to know the scriptures. Got to know the scriptures. In other words, it is as he realizes when you're dealing with people and demons and such like, they try to test your faith and prove how genuine your Christian character is. But you got to rely on what is written. Our lives should be governed, guided, and guarded by God's word. Whew, thank God it is, ain't it? So he said, man, but he has to say, it's written, man should not live by bread alone. But by every word, every utterance, every teaching, all the doctors that proceeds or comes forth from the mouth of God. Mouth is an interesting word there. It means heart. It means fault. And one definition that stood out to me is the sword of God. And where do we pick up the sword at? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. There are many benefits and advantages that we receive when we make a daily, hourly decision to live by God's written and revealed word according to Hebrews 4 and 12. Notice what he said, because this is how we're going to live. Let me tell you something. On Tuesday, we're going to live by the word of God. On Wednesday, we're going to live by the word of God. On Thursday, we're going to live by the word of God. On Sunday, we're going to live by the word of God. In fact, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're going to live by the word of God. Now, let me say this to you. Just in case you mess up, you repent, you're still living by the word of God. This is what you need to know. Repentance is living by the word of God. When you mess up, and I'm sure one day you might mess up, repent. That's, that's getting back in line with the word of God. 
Ask God to forgive you. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, this don't, when you mess up, this don't quit. Hey, God, I repent. I messed up. That's living by the word. Living by the word. Living by the word of God. For the word of God, notice the word, the sayings, the decrees, the mandates, and the commands of God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the sovereign God, and the one true God is living and powerful and sharpening in two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and merit, and the of the, and, and the thoughts and, and intents of the heart. Five benefits of living by the word of God in Hebrews 4 and 12. It's living. It's living. It's quick. It's alive. It's active. It's fresh. It's strong. It's efficient. And it's relevant. That word lives. How do you know, Pastor Dallas? Because when you're at school, that word starts talking to you. When you're at your work, that word starts talking to you. When you are dealing with your family, that word starts talking to you. Let me tell you something. When you're shopping, that word will start talking to you. That word will be, you'll be shopping and, and, uh, and, and he'll say, go down this aisle right here and you'll say, Lord, you want me to have this? And say, yeah, I want you to have that because I'm giving you the desires of your heart. Oh, hey, that's a word for me. And just like he also tell you, hey, then, hey, hey, you're getting your time money now. Don't start spending your time money on something that ain't, um, on. He'll talk to you. He'll talk to you. I thank God the word to talk to you. That word has kept me out of jail, from cussing folks out, from, from cheating, from doing a number of different things. It also helped me to repent. Now, you know that went right right there. The word will talk to you. Because why? It's living. The word will keep your marriage together, y'all. The word will keep you a strong, single sister or brother. The word will. It's not only that, it's powerful. It's effective and active. The word works. The word works. It's sharper. It cuts comprehension. It cuts it comprehensively and decisively than any two-edged sword. It'll cut sin out of your life. It'll cut sin out of your life. Yeah, it's sharp. Yeah, it'll cut sin out of your life. Literally out of your life. You can't get, because sometimes we like doing stuff, but the word can cut it out of our lives. It's piercing, able to penetrate and go through even to the soul and spirit of, of joints and marrow. It gets down in there and it gets our motives. I tell you, boy, the word will, will minister to your motives. Thank God that it does. And the discerner is fit for judging and skilled to judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows your heart. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I've lived long enough that sometimes I didn't even know my heart in some situation, but the word knew it. The word knew it. And, and let me say this to you. You can be dealing with folks and you think you know what they thinking. You don't know. But God knows. He'll keep you out of a certain situation if you listen to him. And, it, and if you acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll direct your path. You mess up, he'll get you back on track. Man, I appreciate God so much. The word works. It's living, it's powerful, sharper, it's piercing, it's a discerner. And when we receive God's word week in and week out, week out, we should make the decision to conduct our lives, to shape the way we think, the way we talk, and the way we act based on what we receive from God's word. That's how you live by the word of God. 
Every time God reveals something to you, you say, God, this is what you want, how you want me to live. This is how you want me to make my decisions. This is how you want me to treat my brothers and my sisters. This is how you want me to conduct myself when I go to school, when I go to this job, when I do this business deal. This is how you want me to give. This is how you want me to do Every day, 24 hours a day and seven days a week, the word is working in us. And when we receive that word, this is how we live. This is how we conduct our lives. This is how we do. And when we do this, we're going to see our prosperity take place in our lives. This is how you're going to get better. Now, let me define prosperity real quick, quickly in my closing. Prosperity is literally defined as getting better, biblically speaking. Getting better. Don't look at prosperity as a goal, but look at it as a lifestyle. You're getting better, you're prospering. You're getting better, you're prospering. I thought about this example. When an individual, now this is just, just a simple natural example. Let's say last year, 2020, you had $100,000 in debt. 2021, you have no debt and got $1,000 in your pocket. You're prospering. Now, you may not be prospering on somebody's social or economic level, but you're a whole lot better off than what you were before. Think about this spiritually. You pray, you listen, you barely came to church, you barely studied the word of God, you barely did anything spiritually speaking, but now here you are this year, you're trusting the Lord wholeheartedly, you're, you're doing better than you did before, you are prospering. And when you prosper, you're doing Thank God he's doing us better. And this is how we live by the word of God. Stand to your feet. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you're ever in the Villarica area, you can visit us at 3193 South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia on Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 7. You can also reach us at 770-459-6221. That's 770-459-OCC1. Follow us on Facebook at Overcomers Christian Center and visit us online at OCCVR.org. We pray that you're empowered and equipped in today's world.